You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. Hey, everybody. This is another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. I'm your host, Chris Blair. And this week, we are going to sit down with Mark Irwin. Mark is originally from the Bronx in New York and was inspired by guys like Merle Haggard and George Jones. And then he ultimately found his way to Nashville to pursue songwriting. His first job in Nashville was bartending for the Bluebird, where he got to meet a lot of great people, one of them being Alan Jackson. Uh, And that friendship uh, and writing together led to his first number one here in the real world. Uh, His first cut was actually before that uh, and was a Christmas song by Randy Travis, which is pretty cool. Uh, And then in 2013, he wrote Highway Don't Care for Tim McGraw and Taylor Swift and Redneck Crazy, uh, his second number one for Tyler Farr. He's also written songs for Jimmy Buffett, Lainey Wilson. Uh, One of those songs was on Yellowstone, uh, Blake Shelton, and so many more. You're going to hear the stories behind these songs, along with how Garth Brooks passed on a song of his and then paid him $5,000 because he didn't cut it. Like, who does that? I've always loved Garth, and that's just another story that makes me even a bigger fan. Um, But then later, uh, coming full circle, Garth did end up cutting that song on his Lost Sessions album. So we're going to talk about that. Mark has been in town for over 25 years. Um, He's got multiple hits, and he still sits down with new writers. So we're also going to talk about that, and you're going to hear why he does that and how guys like AJ Cross, Davis Luce, and Cam Newby inspire him so much. So speaking of inspiration, this has got so much inspiration in it. Great stories in this episode. This is Mark Irwin. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is another episode of Stories Behind the Songs, and I am here today at the listening room with Mark Irwin. What's up, How buddy? You doing? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, um, man. I uh, I'm I'm so excited. I think I say that every episode, um, but it's just been so fun to sit down with with buddies like you. So um, yeah. we've known each other for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, since day one, you've just been a, a great friend, and I appreciate that Thank so you. much. Thanks a lot. Um, Same go. Ditto. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> Um, and yeah, dude, this is going to be fun. Cause we get to, we get to turn back time a little bit yeah. and, uh, talk about some, some monster smashes. Thank you. Um, yeah. but, uh, before we do that, uh, you're from New York, New York originally. So set me up. How did you get to Nashville and figure out like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do songwriting as a career. Well, it was the late seventies. Um, I was going down, I was already writing, so playing the guitar and writing songs. And I was going to these open mic shows in Greenwich village. But at the time country wasn't exactly happening in New York, but I don't know how I just started to love it. Felt like I was really influenced by people like Merle Haggard and, um, you know, George Jones. And I started listening to them via Emmy Lou Harris records and rookie Skaggs records and things like that. And, Every time I went down to an open mic show in, in the village, they always said, you know, maybe you should try Nashville. And eventually it sunk in, and I saved up some money, drove my little red um, Ford, what was it, a Focus, down to Nashville. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing led to another, and, you know, just things just took off after a couple of years. Yeah. So uh, when, when you got here, um, how long were you in town before, uh, you know, before you got your first publishing deal and... Well, I was lucky because I got a job at another music club in town, yeah, Bluebird, the Bluebird Cafe, yeah. so I got to meet a lot of people, maybe a little bit 
sooner than other folks did and it made some really good relationships some people i still write with and deal with today 30 yeah. years some 30 years later but um it took about four years to really feel like things were starting to happen and i was lucky enough to hook up with a a, a young company at the time 1010 music barry and jewel Coburn. And um, they really were liking some of the stuff I was turning in. They hooked me up with a couple of people. Uh, they were managing Holly Dunn at the time, and they got me a Holly Dunn cut. It never came out, so I got a broken heart early on <laughs> in my life. But then they hooked me up with a guy they were managing named Alan Jackson, and things just skyrocketed from there. So let's talk about that. How many, how many number ones does Alan Jackson have? Oh, Lord. Uh, it's got to be close to 30, right? Yeah, 35. something something like that. Mm -hmm. And you have the privilege of having <laughs> his first number one hit. And he has the privilege of having my first. Yeah, that's number. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. We wrote his first number one here in the real world. Man, that's so cool. Let's let's talk about um, let's talk about that a little bit. But I also want to talk about uh, the Bluebird mm -hmm. and your bartending. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe, if I remember this correctly, you are uh, you're behind the bar. The, the like when the song when you get your first number one mm -hmm. and um nobody tipped you <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's a story to tell people would, knew the song was going up the charts and they would come up and order a drink and say well i don't have to tip you you're making so much money on your song and like i had to tell people not really they didn't understand the way the business works you yeah didn't see any money for nine months to a year yeah <laughs> i mean if i had the money you think i would have been bartending yeah. but i don't know if they were trying to be funny but it happened more than once yeah that people said that to me yeah but man let's let's dive into like how how was that feeling that first that first song that, that you're just watching go up the charts and like what surreal. in what year was that uh 88 or 89 i think it was 89 okay. when it was actually going up the charts we yeah. probably wrote it in 88 but yeah it was, yeah and it was just surreal. I mean, I was still young. I was still in my early 20s. I was tending bar at the Bluebird and hearing some amazing people play. It was my first single that was out. Um, you know, I wasn't really too aware of so much of the business at the time. So I wasn't one of those guys who checked the charts. I was just working at night, writing during the day and trying to stay afloat. And I was getting phone calls left and right. Hey, your song's doing really well. And like, I didn't even know what to think of it at the time because I just really, really still felt like a bit of an outsider. I still didn't have a publishing deal at the time. I was still tending bar and I really didn't understand how the business worked until, you know, some years later. Yeah. But it, let's just say it was surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, and who did you write that with? With Alan. Okay. Yeah. With Alan. They, 1010, Barry Coburn, they were managing Alan. He went, they weren't publishing him. They were managing him at the time. And they were, and I was writing kind of for them, but I didn't have a deal. Yeah. But I was, it was bringing them first, what was it, first refusal, I guess you call it. Right. And Barry hooked out. He took us out to dinner one night and said, you guys should write. The next day we did, and we wrote Here in the Real World and another song called Till I Was Loved by You that was mm. recorded by Shelly Wright back in the, I think it was her first single. Yeah. So that was a good day. Yeah. You know? And then we got together once or twice after that, but it was good, but not magical like that first day. Yeah. Man, so, and that, that was your first number one. That yes. wasn't your first cut. Your no. first cut was actually a Christmas song, right? Yeah, my first yeah. cut that was released was a Christmas song on Randy Travis, which was a real thrill. Yeah. You know, um, and working at the Bluebirds, they were real sweet. They gave me, like, my first plaque uh, with the Randy Travis album, which was just really That's awesome. meant a lot to me. Yeah. 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 So then um, what was the, you know, what was the path after, you know, after that first number one with Alan? 
I mean, things just start. You've had yeah. an incredible, incredible Thanks. career. I Thanks. mean, just written for so many people, like huge hits. So mm-hmm. um, we are we're always blessed to have you play oh. the stage here. And uh, it's a privilege for me. You know, it's yeah. it's it's. it's we love everyone who plays, but you know, when we have guys like you that literally can get up here and you could play two hours by yourself and just have like <laughs> a, a hit after hit after hit that you're playing is just as long as I can play them over. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> no, I'm just right. kidding. Okay. Um, yeah. How was, how was that, that riot afterwards? It was amazing. And then things did start going a little fast. I was still riding with 1010 for a year or two later. And then we just kind of went our separate ways and I got in. Back then, it was called EMI. Um, yeah. That they, they, I guess they've gotten um, bought up by Sony now, I yep. think. But back then, it was EMI. Celia Froelig and Robin Palmer were running the place, and they just saw something in me besides having the real world. And they really they nurtured me for about seven years, and they were great. And back then, you didn't you can make a nice living just getting album cuts. You know, albums were selling so well. Yeah. You know, now it's more of a single-driven thing than ever before. But back then, you know, if you get album cuts on a few albums that were selling real well, you know, you were doing good. You were doing well. Yeah. You know? So um, I was there. They got me songs recorded by Highway 101. They got me songs by, uh, who else back then? There was a young girl. She was on Sony at the time named Joy White. She was, like, yeah. kind of a precursor to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. She cut, like, three or four songs. Patty Loveless, another Shelly Wright thing. So they, they were getting me cuts, but... Actually, it was 22 years between Real World, my first number one, and my second number one, um, which was Redneck Crazy. And then it was five weeks between my second and my third number one. That's better. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was definitely better. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, you know, on and off, it's just been a great ride. There's good years, bad years, but it's been a great ride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take me into, uh, you know, let's let's dive into to a couple songs, you know, okay. and talk about the story behind songs. Okay. So um, I'll let you pick. I know you've got a great uh, story on Neon Light. Well, um, Neon Light, I, that was, I was wrote that with my good friends Josh Keir and Andrew Dorff. And we knew that Blake Shelton was cutting soon. We knew he was looking hard. And Andrew had this title. He just threw out the name Neon Light. And at first, Josh and I kind of looked at each other like, really, Neon Light? I don't know. What else you got? But then he said the whole hook, Neon Light at the end of the uh, tunnel. And I go, oh, you know, all of a sudden, like, the bells rang, you know. And Josh really honed in on some lyric. And I was just sitting on the couch. I was holding Josh's six-string banjo at the time. And I was just, like, sitting there going. I don't know where it came from. just popped out and that became the riff the guiding riff for the song and i think we wrote it in about a half hour wow once, once we really had a beat on what we were doing yeah so from like an idea that we weren't that impressed with all of a sudden wrote this song that like holy cow this is awesome and so our pub, josh's publisher i think got it to blake's people and it was put on hold immediately and he cut it like within a week and i think it was a month later that we found out it was gonna be the first single that's the stars really aligning you know that's rare that doesn't happen yeah and actually for me anyway sitting down writing a song like targeting a specific artist it doesn't usually happen i mean luckily you know some songs will get cut but it's never usually by the artist i think i'm writing it for so you you wrote that like with blake in mind yes we were right definitely had blake in mind okay yeah so it just worked out that way wow yeah 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 that's incredible thanks yeah, it's it's typically. I mean, some of these songs sit on a shelf for right. two, three, four years. You I've know, had, even I've had so. a song that was eleven year old uh, you, get cut by Lee Bryce. 
Which one was that? It was a song called Panama City. Oh, he yeah, cut yeah. it on the Hard to Love album. Yeah. Yeah. It was 11 years old. He always said he loved that. He, he told our, it was also written with Josh and uh, Chris Tompkins, and he always told Chris, I'm going to record that one day. Yeah. And 11 years later, he did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, as Josh says, it goes to show songs don't have a um, an expiration date. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think, you know, with especially with radio, you know, everything kind of kind of goes, you know, like the, the um, with country music, you know, it, it'll the, the whole genre will kind of shift to one side sure. and then back to the other. So, I mean, you could write a song that's right, you know, maybe not for radio then. Right. Um, but a few years later, it's like, oh, man, this is perfect. It sounds right now. current. Yeah. 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 And it's happening. In a lot. I'm seeing that a lot now. Like, you know, they say some artists in 2023, they're looking for 90s country type songs. And to me, that just means, you know, a good song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it seemed like that's what I've always been doing. So now, like, the pendulum seems to be swinging and some songs that are a few years old are getting placed, you know, yeah. with a couple artists. And I'm getting the opportunity to kind of write that style with some others. You know, I got to write with Laney, you know, another listening room yeah. favorite Lanny Wilson and I don't think we did anything different that day that I've been doing you know for 25 years yeah so yeah it's a good time to be writing country songs yeah <laughs> man she's on fire right yes. now too yeah she is yeah. I was lucky to be even have a little piece on that record you know I'm yeah. just lucky to, to be there and uh, she's awesome it's, yeah. it's great to see something like that happen for someone so sweet and someone yeah. who's so good as her yeah yeah uh, another uh, another huge uh, song that you wrote. Uh, I want to dive into that one for uh, Tim McGraw mm -hmm. with Taylor on on yeah. uh, Highway Don't Care. Yeah, that was a day Josh and I wrote with the Warren Brothers, and I think we've written once or twice before that. Josh had that title written down, and Brett Warren. I kind of remember, I get them confused. Brett Warren sat down at a keyboard, which was really unusual. He usually plays the guitar. Yeah. Josh usually sat at the piano. But on that particular day, Brett sat down and started playing this melody and started humming it. And we just started writing the lyrics and the song just kind of evolved from there. Um, and, you know, we were thinking Tim all along because the Warrens have kind of a relationship yeah. with him. So, but um, when Josh had the brilliant idea of writing this little section for a female artist to sing, and we always thought it was going to be Faith. But after the song was done and demoed, um, Tim heard it, loved it, but for whatever reason, Faith didn't want to do it. So it was Tim's idea to bring in Taylor, bless mm. his heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was another one that we were writing, thinking of a particular artist, and it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you typically go into a room like that? Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we look, we talk about who's cutting, what are we thinking, but really the idea wins out. If somebody comes up with a great idea or an idea that, you know, moves you to want to write something, that takes press in and I think over, hey, does that really fit like this artist we were talking about? And it's like, I don't care, it's it's a great idea, let's write it and we'll figure we'll figure out who's gonna cut it afterwards. Yeah. You know, that's kinda how I go in most yeah. of the time. But when you sit I'm sorry, I don't, but when you're sitting with the Warren brothers you kind of, it's just natural to think Tim, because sure. that's always the, their first shot, yep. you know? I mean, they, they've had some great songs recorded by other folks, but that seems to be the first shot with them. Yeah, man. So, um, do you have you have a camp that you write with uh, pretty much all the time now. Yeah, um, for the most so, part. So talk about that. Like, when you first moved here, how did you put that together? Because I think there's so many writers that moved to town, you know, and, and, and like you, uh, you know, they're writing with anybody and everybody they can um, to get started. Right. Um, but then, you know, it, it's it's like everybody kind of finds their 
five, six, right. eight guys, sure. and then you know it works. So talk talk us through that. You know, for me, it seems to have each each. Uh, I have like about three or four different writing camps, and they all seem to have happened really organically. Josh and I met through a mutual friend at BMG. A young, he was an artist at the time named Jameson Clark. Josh was writing with him, and I was writing with him. And then Jameson got us together, and Josh and I kind of hit it off really well. We got together to write ourselves a couple of times, and we weren't really, you know, hitting on anything. And then we went out, I think we went out for breakfast, and we started talking about music in general. And I turned him on to Bruce Springsteen. He'd never really got into Springsteen. I turned him on to the Born to Run album, and all of a sudden, man, we just connected. And all, we just had this, this kindred vibe, and we started writing some great songs together. And we've been writing together, you know, 25 years now, yeah. you know. And, Josh is the kind of right. He could be writing with anybody in the world, but he's just like one of the sweetest and most loyal guys in the world. And if he's in town, we usually write every Monday, and uh, we were doing every Thursday. Me, Josh, and Chris Tompkins too. And as long as they're here, I mean, unless something amazing comes up for them, I'm not going to stand in their way. But we try to keep a steady thing, and we've been doing it for over 20 years. Yeah. So how many how many songs do you think you've written now? Me personally? Yeah. Oh shoot. Uh, I don't know. I mean well over 2,000 yeah. <laughs> songs. How many are worth a damn? <laughs> Maybe well over 20. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's not, but, you know, I mean, when you, if you do the math, you know, I, I usually write most, most four to five days a week, most of the year, maybe take a couple of weeks off in the summertime. So, you know, do the math. Yeah. It's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And you find, um, you know, like, uh, one out of 50 one out of 100 is is kind of like what what's yeah. like that magic that yeah i don't okay, know what is. the specific ratio is but yeah i mean when you stumble onto one that you know that's special you just know it it yeah. stands out highway don't care was like that we knew that was something and we knew something was going to happen with it you know whether it was tim or someone else but you know fortunately tim heard it and didn't want anybody else to have it yeah, yeah. that was a good thing yeah that was a good yeah. thing well, what's like, you've got so many, I mean, I, I want you to just pick, like, what do you think the best story is of like, um, you know, coming up with, with the idea and, you know, just kind of take me into a writer's room. Um, you know, you, you pick, I've well, heard so well, many of your stories on, on already. Here, on, yeah. on here in the real world, you know, like Alan and I, we didn't really know each other that well. We went out to dinner the night before, drank a little bit. We were together the next day. We were kind of like just throwing out ideas and nothing was really clicking. And then Alan said, you know, I got these two lines, but I don't know what to do with it. And he just sat down and he just said, you know, cowboys don't cry and heroes don't die. And all of a sudden the idea of like movies just popped into my head. I don't know where it came from, but really the song spilled out. And this was after we were together probably two or three hours, really not hitting on anything. And then all of a sudden he said those two lines and the song just kind of spilled out, mm. out of me mostly, you know. I mean, he just, he kind of guided it in certain ways. But, you know, once he said that, for whatever happened the song just jumped out and yeah. that, that happens a lot I'm finding more and more as I write as I get older most of the day is spent talking about what you want to write about and you know and how you want to get there and then when we sit down to actually do the writing hopefully my co-writers and I have like a common vision of where and the writing part itself actually comes pretty quickly now yeah you know it wasn't always like that but that seems to be how it works these days yeah when when you uh, when you finish a song um, if it comes out that quickly when you when you're finished are you one of those writers that will 
sit with it for a little bit and then go back and kind of massage it uh, and make tweaks here and there? Or, uh, yeah, or is I it mean, I drive some co some co-writers crazy <laughs> with texts and emails. Hey, what if we did this? What if we did this? That's why it's kind of you're kind of in a weird situation when you're right with a track person as well. Yeah, because some guys are really good and really efficient. And by the time you get home, there's a demo in your inbox, which, you know, on one hand is really great. But on the other hand, you go, well, I guess that's done. You know, uh, but me, I do tend to live with them and maybe want to tweak something, make it better. Um, I think anything could always be better. Yeah. So, you know, and a couple of my regulars, we're good at that. We'll like say, hey, okay, let's live with it for a while. Maybe get back together on it for an hour. You know, now with Zoom being such a commonplace thing, it's really easy to Zoom for an hour early in the morning before we all take off for our little rights. So um, if I have my way, I will always try to, look at a song you know at least once or twice after we're done before we commit it to a demo or something like yeah. that yeah yeah um you talked about you know these these camps and you've got um you've got a couple different camps that mm -hmm. you write with one of the thing that i uh have always loved about you is something that you don't have to do and i can't remember who i sat down with but I, it's it, I, I talked about you on one of uh one of my previous episodes on this podcast um uh because you know you have you have all of the success you've been in town you know for for 25 years doing this um yet you still sit down with new writers and um you know a, a lot of successful writers like you don't do that right and again you don't have to but mm -hmm. you know guys like aj cross mm -hmm. um who you know doesn't have a deal um you know any anything like that right. and you still like davis davis yeah. loose yeah mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you, you, we met, we yeah. met Davis together down yeah. in St. Augustine right. and like, and both of us were like, man, you got to move to Nashville. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So talk, talk about that. Like what, like I, I love how humble you are in your heart for helping other people. Um, Thanks. so like, what is it that drives you to do that? Well, first off, I mean, they're the future, they're the future of country, you know, of this genre coming up, you know, AJ Davis, I, I think I expect them both to have really great careers and, you know, I love what they do and I love them as people, both of them. So, you know, being part of that is just for me a privilege. <laughs> and yeah. also anything I can offer them as far as maybe, hey, you know, I think the thing I can offer them in the writing room is like any pearls of wisdom, like maybe don't spend so much time worrying about this line and let's just keep moving on and keep moving and keep moving forward. And little things like throw out, you know, that hopefully they take with them to other rights and things like that. But you know a lot of times i just mesh with, with some of these folks you know i mean it's it it's exciting to see somebody younger who's starting out who really has this beautiful vision of, of music in the music business and it's inspiring to me you know i mean i've written with a lot of folks a lot of other veterans great songwriters and some days you just go in and it's like i don't know you really want to do this again you just want to go out to lunch <laughs> you know but it doesn't happen that way with young writers i just i just get excited about working with some that I really feel are, you know, have something special to offer. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, some, it doesn't always work out. Like I've, I've written with some young folks who I never got back together with again, but sometimes relationships like with AJ and Davis, I now consider them two of my best friends. Yeah. You know, and I really think they have a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Both those guys are just phenomenal. And these so. days, you know, not, to, I'm not trying to sound cynical or anything about the business itself, but these days, getting in with an artist early on like I did with Alan I mean I was with Alan before he was signed to a record deal that seems to be the way to get cuts yeah you know you know the most 
you know, the way that's going to be the most likely way to get cuts yeah. <laughs> these days is working with the artists. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, there's There's been a lot of guests that we've had on just, I mean, it wasn't planned like this, but um, I think like, you know, three, four uh, guests that we've had on in a row um, have written with Combs. Uh-huh. Um, and it was all kind of like, you know, is this the same thing that you're talking about? Yeah. It was this camp before Luke was ever right. signed, you know, right. and it was, was all these stories about, about meeting the dude, you know, in a, in a bar when he had a car that wouldn't run. <laughs> but, you know, it was like every single one of their number ones. And I think, you know, like that, that's a great point. Like AJ Davis, any of these guys that, you know, are new to town and have this talent that end up do getting a deal and, and going, they're going to have their established camp. And, um, it's very smart. So also, you know, I hear some young artists, you know, the writer, I mean, there's a guy named Cam Newby who like, I heard yeah. him playing. Go, this guy's awesome. He's great. You know, great track I mean, guy. and for, uh, I don't even know that we just sat and do lyrics and he, I think he's a great lyricist. And yeah. There's a couple of others, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I mean, it's inspired. It really is when you sit down, wow, that is great. I want to write with that person. I mean, I expect, you know the veteran hit writers to be great <laughs> but there's something exciting about being with a you know a newbie for lack of a better word who's writing stuff that's really hitting you and like i want to be part of that yeah you know yeah all right so let's uh let's go back into a song do you have a favorite i have to say real here in the real world just because yeah. you know that's that was the beginning of everything yeah yeah it would be weird to do the Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, what's been um, what's been the longest run song? Was it here in the real world? Or well, the thing about real world, it's been an amazing journey. Not just going through, you know, with Alan, it was a number one. Then it was nominated for a CMA Song of the Year, and then the following year it was nominated yeah. again for Song of the Year. It was up against Don't Rock the Jukebox, so I don't think we had much of a chance that second year. <laughs> But, and then over the years, I mean, George Jones recorded it for one of his records that he did other people's hits. Glenn Campbell recorded it on a live album. I got to see uh, Chris Stapleton sing it, like, yeah. at, a, at an awards festival for, thing for Alan. I got to see Steve Earle sing it at an ASCAP um, event that he that was uh, honoring Alan. Oh, wow. so I didn't just know that. Been, That's yeah, cool. Was, I wish I had a copy of that. Oh. But um, it's just been an amazing journey with that song, you know? I mean, and I've got to see hear it played and sung by some amazing people. I got to see Patty Lovelace sing it when Alan was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that song's been pretty special. And it's still, you know, it still shows up. It still gets played. Uh, you know, it's still the song that I think I'm most recognizable for. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that one has a special place in my heart. I've, I still can't get out of the car if it's playing on the radio until it's done. <laughs> Man, I love that. <laughs> I still have to listen to it yeah. all the way through. I love it. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Sennheiser Microphones. When we first started this podcast, we were using some older microphones and Sennheiser came in and sponsored us and gave us some MK4s and 914s. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's made all of the difference in the world. We love these microphones. We use them at the listening room as well. And I just can't say enough great things about them. Go check out Sennheiser.com. If you are into music in any way, their microphones are hands down the best on the planet. Go check them out, Sennheiser.com. And thank you, Sennheiser, for the support and the sponsorship. We love y'all. Um, so you, a lot of, uh, most of the hits you have are country, um, but let's talk about Jimmy Buffett. 
Okay. You also uh, yeah. you got a got a cut with him, and yeah. that, so that's that's pretty cool. We wrote that song. I think in our minds we were thinking Kenny Chesney. I don't know why. I mean, I guess because it was a beach vibe yeah. to it, and he passed on it, and somehow I don't remember who. Um, he, well, I do actually. Nate. Oh crap! I can't remember his last name. He he works at Cornman. Nate Lowry. I'm sorry, Nate Lowry. He was friends with Chris Tompkins, my co-writer on it. He heard the song and he. Just because he loved the song, he knew Mac McAnally. He got it to Mac. Mac mm. loved it, played it for Jimmy. And Jimmy related to it because it was right around the time I think Katrina like knocked out some some places on Muscle Shoals on the beach there in, in um, the Shoals. Yep. And I think his, his sister, Lulu, had a place that was damaged due to the hurricane. So I think the song Bama Breeze really resonated with him. So he even changed there's a line in the song that we had about the owner charlie he even named changed it to the owner lulu in honor of his sister yeah that's you know? cool so yeah that was pretty amazing and you know it was a single it didn't do that great on the charts but it's been you know i mean for me songwriters you got bob dylan for springs and jimmy buffett you know what i mean yeah so it's been a pretty it's been an amazing honor to yeah. just to have that and also my father-in-law's a pretty big parrot head so uh it got me a good seat at the christmas table yeah <laughs> Um. Okay, let's uh let's go back to you talking about you know here in the world wo- real world yeah, it's hard and to say uh, it's yeah <laughs> here in the real yeah. world, um, you know the uh, the, the nominate nominations that you had, um, you know like l- dive into that a little bit because you've had a lot of great nominations mm-hmm. for um you know for for uh-huh. several award shows, mm-hmm. and um I mean, what was that like the first time you got that call? Oh wow! It was such a th- again. It was just like yeah, you know, I couldn't believe it. And um, it's funny for the first CMAs that I went to. I guess I had been out of working at the Bluebird about six months at the time, but I was still kind of like connected to the club, you know, just my story. So one of the local news stations interviewed me at the bar before the CMAs, and I was sitting there in my tuxedo, sitting at the bar. My girlfriend at the time is sitting there, all dressed up, waiting to go to the awards, and so that was pretty. That was pretty amazing, yeah. getting interviewed on the news, sitting at the Bluebird, waiting to go to the CMA awards. Yeah. Um, and then just being there, I, you know, just seeing all like, because you know, as a song of the year nominee, you're up front with, you know, and I'd never been around too many of the artists at that point, and just sitting in that crowd was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The second year, actually, President, the first President Bush made an appearance at the CMA Awards and he made a little speech and part of his speech said something about country being a window to the real world. So being sort of quoted by the president at yeah. the time, that was pretty awesome. That is pretty cool, man. <laughs> and my mom was at that one. Oh, <laughs> I brought that's my awesome. mom to that award. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. One of the first years I moved to town, uh, I was a seat filler and um, I I ended up so see for everybody listening to seat filler like you basically you get to go like right. when everybody gets up at commercial right you go and you sit in the seat so that it always looks full right um, so I I ended up uh, it, it was like the beginning of the show uh-huh. and um, and I go up and I sit and I'm on the like second row right behind George Strait and um, and this guy looks over at me sitting you know sitting in his seat that uh-huh. he paid for right looks over and he's like dude you just scored <laughs> and i was like what are you talking about And he's like the guy sitting in your seat was up for uh publisher of the year and uh just he's lost and he went to the bar he's not coming back so i sat second row 
Uh, was it CMA Awards? In, in CMA awesome. Awards, yeah, and watched the entire. It was it was amazing. That was the year that the Eagles were on. Oh wow! And oh, um, we did that big album together. Yeah, That's yeah. Great. It was it was really cool. Just something uh, you know, just sitting up. And I was brand new to town. I mean, mm-hmm. this was like maybe two thousand four, uh-huh. something wow. like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was. I was really glad incredible. I was able to take my mom. And like she didn't know too much about country music, but like the judge was sitting like two rows in front of us, so she knew who they were, and it's a couple of other folks. So it was really nice that I was able to do that for yeah. her. You know, my girlfriend was pissed at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's let's dive into. Um, you know, you've got so many songs under your belt. Uh, what about songs that haven't been cut? What's your favorite? Oh boy, you know they they change from you know. You stumble onto a few. I have one recent one that I wrote with a guy named Adam Wood and Brian Davis, a song called uh, Love Works, and I just love this song for whatever reason. It just really, I'm really so proud of it, and it's come close once. You know, people liked it, but it hasn't gotten cut. So there are a few over the years. As a matter of fact, I just started working on my own EP. Come on, dude, yeah. And some of those songs have been collected over the years, songs I think, I can't believe the song hasn't been cut. Yeah. And they've just kind of, so I kind of kept them in a little drawer for myself, you know. I mean, I'll pitch them, but if that doesn't get cut, I'm going to do that one, you know. So there have been a few uh, that, and I think there's one or two with AJ that I think if anything happens with him that can really work for him, too. Yeah, you guys have written some great songs together. as, As of you with him, so I mean... I think he's he's sitting on some great songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just um, waiting for the day. Back in the day when I was writing with Josh Keir and Chris Tompkins and a girl named Sarah Beck and her husband now I write with is uh, Park Chisholm, we have some songs that I just I play out, you know, as often as I can. I know when I play out and you only have like an hour and a half and there's three or four people, you only go around a few times and people want to come and they want to hear, see you play your hits. But I always love like having that one extra round where I could play one a song that I'm really hot on, you know, yeah. in love with at the moment, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you want to you want to play one of them that that hasn't been cut, and maybe oh. somebody will listen to this that sure. uh, say, hey, we want to we want to get in touch with Mark and get this thing cut. Sure. Uh, let me try this one. This it's early, so I'm gonna do it a little bit lower than normal. But uh, this is one called Love Works. Wrote this with Adam Wood and Brian Davis, and uh, yeah, let's give it a shot. If you think there's anything that you can do To ever make me turn my back on you And love you less than I do now Well then you don't know how love works Mm. If you think that if you ever went away I would just get over you someday Move on without you around Well then you don't know how love works If you think you'll ever mean Any less than everything Then you just don't understand how deep this runs if you think you'll ever find a love stronger than mine on this earth, then you don't know how love works. 
Love works. Love works. Mm. And if you think there'll ever come a time when you're not in my heart or on my mind, just the way that you are now, then you don't know how love works love works love works even when we don't know how love works love works love works man that's so good thank you yeah early morning version (laughs) no that's that's so good man thank you I love yeah. that song. I feel like that, like where we are today with with uh, radio, that that could be yeah. a smash right now. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah. You know anybody looking? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Maybe somebody listening. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, all right, let's. I want to talk about a couple a uh, couple other big uh, big songs um, before we finish up. But uh, let's talk about Tyler Farr. Sure. Uh, Redneck Crazy. Uh, that was another one I wrote with Josh and Chris, and they had you know a couple years earlier they wrote before he cheats. And uh, I was absent that day for whatever reason. Um, actually, you know, that was the great thing about those two and us three. We wrote in different, you know, uh, combinations. Sometimes the three of us wrote. Sometimes the two of them wrote. Sometimes just Josh and I or sometimes Chris. So, you know, and that was the day they wrote that one on a day I wasn't there. But so a couple of years later, Chris had the title Redneck Crazy. And at first we were talking, thinking it was just going to be like some sort of a party song. You know, let's get Redneck Crazy. And that wasn't really doing it for us and we just started talking and there's a great old Rhett Aiken song that ate my truck yeah that song mm-hmm. kind of started thinking about that song and from there the the version of what we wrote for Red That Crazy kind of came out and you know a guy seeing his girl cheating on him you know usually you're hearing it the other way around like before he cheats as a matter of fact when we got home that night we started texting each other thinking you really think a guy's gonna sing this? You know, you really you think maybe we should get back together and try to write, change it for a female to sing? And we kind of decided to do that, but before we got back together, my publisher at the time got it, played it for Tyler, and he loved it, and he jumped on it. And we didn't really know who he was because he was brand new then. Yeah. Um, but we weren't gonna stand in the way of somebody wanting to record the song. And it was kind of doing okay when it first came out, but then they made a video and in the video, the guy from Duck Dynasty, Willie Robertson, yeah. was in it. And once we saw he was in it, go, it's gonna be a hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was. Yeah, yeah. But it was that was Tyler's first number one as well. Yeah, yeah. It's such a great. He's song. such a, and he's such a great singer. So yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I played Alabama last week, and that song really went over well. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you in Alabama? It was in Huntsville. A little this this guy Jim Parker does these shows like every month. It's, some club in in Huntsville, and my friend Clay Mills got me on. Oh so, man, yeah, I haven't talked to Clay in forever. We we're playing here in August. Are you really? Yeah, me, Clay, okay, and great. Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. man, I, I'll have to come to that show. That'd be a good one. He's, yeah, they're great. They're both great. That's awesome. Um, uh, what about? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, there's so many to pick from, but um, like Chris Jansen, Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. like you were on. The, I, I think that's a cool story because you were on. What was it? Uh, the Lost Sessions. Yes. Yeah, that's um, a great story to show you the kind of person Garth is yeah. too, because uh, Josh and I, it was just me and Josh on that song and we were both at BMG at the time. So it was like 
right around 2000, maybe 2000. It was at the time he was, John Garth was looking for songs for his last album on Capitol, which I think was called Scarecrow. So whatever yeah. year that was, early 2000s. And he wasn't living in the house. I guess him and his first wife were separated, so he was living in a trailer on his property. Yep. And we got a message. My publisher at the time, her name was a plugger. Her name was Michelle Berlin. She called Josh and me to come in the office a couple of days after Thanksgiving. And she played us this message that Garth left Thanksgiving Eve saying, hey, I just heard the song it's called Call Me the Wind. I love this thing. I'd really love to hold the song and I'd love to cut this on the next, my next album. And of course, you know, we were thrilled. Yeah. Next thing you know, a year goes by. The album is finally coming out. We got invited to the uh, party to announce the album, the album release party. And it was a big facade of the, of the artwork, like on the wall. And we go up there and we saw the track listing and our song, song wasn't on there. That's how we learned it wasn't, didn't make Man. the album. Our song was, <laughs> it wasn't on the artwork. <laughs> so we found out at the uh, party. And a couple of weeks later, my, the same plug and Michelle calls us in and these two checks showed up one for Josh one for me and one for BMG $5,000 each that for Garth said sorry for taking the song out of circulation sorry, no it didn't, sorry it didn't work out and he took care of us like for for tying up the song for over a year wow I mean who does that yeah yeah it was really you know <laughs> back then I think I'll never say anything bad about him again because yeah know, when the song did make the album we were like what <laughs> you know but uh that was just I mean we were both shocked and amazed and you know how that that's just such a beautiful thing yeah um and then a few years later he put out this Walmart box set I think a box set I think it was the first one he did yep and it was a CD on there called the Lost Session songs that didn't make the album and it was on there and it went on to sell two or three million. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, so that song, for a song that never really saw the light of day, we did pretty well on it, <laughs> monetarily speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I have two of those box sets, uh, bought two when they came out. One that I opened and listened to, and the other that is still sitting at home uh, on my great. shelf that's, uh -huh. that's got the uh -huh. wrap around it. So, well, like, I mean, you know, for that album, we still we got a platinum record, you know. For so I got on my wall. Yeah. I have a Jimmy Buffett plat uh, gold album and a Garth Brooks platinum record for those things that like you know. To me, they mean the world, but some other folks might not have ever heard them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's it's so cool, man. Yeah, he's really you know everything you hear about Garth, it's true. Yeah. You know it really about is. Him, all that all the stories about the incredible artist he is, you know, it's it's all true. He is the guy, really that moved me to Nashville I don't really? know if you knew that but no. yeah like when I back home in St. Louis when I had my band and you know I mean it, it was it was uh Garth that really got me into country music you know I grew up on you know uh -huh. 80s rock right and, right um you know and and uh switched schools to where uh from a school that nobody listened to country to a school that that's all they listened to and uh was like man what is this and then I heard Garth mm -hmm. and I was like I love this guy and um you know, he's just, he was always a big inspiration to me. And the reason that I moved here to chase this dream. And, um, you know, and then since I've, you know, I've had the, the honor to, to meet and, and get to know him on a very, right. very low level, yeah, but, me too. you know, still, you know, every time that I see him, you know, he's like, it, it, it's true. Would they say like, he never forgets a face and a name Absolutely. and the story and everything. I mean, yeah. um, I've, I've told this story before, but it's like, during during covid we did a big show here with pbs and he was and he was here he played played the listening room and I remember that, yeah. and uh you know and i had a mask on 
and I met him outside um, with his team to bring him into the green room with a mask on and he gets out of the car and he's like hey Chris I recognize that face behind that mask you know it's just it's just he's such a genuine guy yeah. and uh, yeah I mean I've never I've never in my life heard about any kind of artist writing a check for any kind of money yeah saying thanks for letting me hold this yeah, for a year out of, out of like, his personal account yeah you know that just yeah i know that was amazing i said hey you think we can get more of these artists to do this yeah <laughs> i have two guard stores one besides that i was tending bar at the bluebird at the night J um jimmy bowen's assistant or somebody saw he like garth did a showcase at the bluebird for record labels after being turned down by every label you know he left town and came back and I don't know how this thing got set up, but it was a showcase for Capitol Records, and I got to ten bar. I attended bar for that. I got to see that, and you know, he took off. Yeah. You know, like next day it seemed. It, you know, it, it happened fast once he took off. Yeah. But I was always like, I was like having that. Wow, I was standing bar when he got his record deal. And um, a couple of years later, I got to take my mom backstage to the Grand Ole Opry, and it was the night he was getting inducted into the uh, Grand Ole Opry, but Alan Jackson was happened to be playing the same night, so through Alan's people, I was able to get him backstage and take my mom. And Alan was sweet, he introduced him to my mom, he said hello and everything. But man, I introduced him, her to Garth, and Garth sat down and talked to her for about 20 minutes about how hard it must be to be away, because he missed his mom, and mm. like she was living up in New Jersey and I was I here. Chills, it's true, yeah. I mean, they sat there for like 20 minutes talking about how it must be difficult, but you know he's doing great you know like i mean he was just so sweet to her yeah yeah man you know when there was a million other people backstage he could have talked to her. he sat down and talked to my mom yeah you know it's such an inspirational story too and you you look at at somebody as big as garth brooks and the amount of times that he got told no yeah. um and the amount of times that he went back to oklahoma um yeah and and then you know like okay i'll give it another shot mm -hmm. you know it's like it's it's kind of like the michael jordan story with with basketball you know it's right. like it's it's um I think it's it's so inspirational when you look at, at huge success stories like that and you just learn that it, you know you've got to have that drive and dedication and passion and just like you know if you believe in it don't give up and yeah. just keep pushing yep I mean I think he made two go-arounds before yeah he did finally yeah. Clicked, you yeah. Know? I mean anybody else would have just figured something else out yeah you know? yeah yeah no he's pretty impressive and I remember when we used to still have fanfare the famous story that he stayed at the booth signing autographs for 24 hours yeah yeah i mean yeah. who else does that yeah yeah as long as someone's in line and wants my right. autograph i'm not leaving yeah, yeah. and i think he still feels that way in a lot I, of ways, yeah you know? i believe that yeah so anyway yeah. but you know we could talk about garth all yeah day. <laughs> yeah man it's so so great i appreciate you being here Thanks um, for having me. yeah it's been uh it's been great uh before we finish up do you is there uh, again you've got so many songs any any other great stories that you want to talk about the Laney cut is a great story. You know, I got to write with her a bunch of times before she, I mean, I guess she was signed to her record deal, but nothing was happening. It seemed like it was stagnant for a couple of years. Not her fault, not the label's fault. It's just the way that yeah. happens. And I got to write a few things with her and we, we wrote this one song, Laney, me and a guy named Park Chisholm, my good friend. Yep. Um, and cut a great demo on it and she loved it and she played it for her producer, uh, Jay Joyce. And they cut it. I think it was the first session for this album that became Bell Bottom Country. And it was exciting, it was great. But then, you know, six months, maybe eight months passed and she was writing as well as recording. So when the album finally came out, or initially, it wasn't on there. And that was a bum, you know, we bummed about that, but that's the business, you know? 
But then you start checking your mailbox for a five thousand dollar check. But but she started to take off, you know, really yeah. fast. Yeah. And then we got a call that the song, the recording, is going to be featured on a uh, episode of Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. And the day after, which was awesome in itself, but the day after that aired, it was added to the album. I think there were two songs: mine, "New Friends," and a song called "Smells Like Smoke." Was also on another episode. And those two songs were added to the album, which became the, oh, what's it called? Not the enlarged album, whatever, you know. So now it's part of the album. And it was after the, the Yellowstone performance. So not only did we get an album cut on, like the album of the year, it was the ACM album of the year, we got a nice, uh, what do you call it, sync fee for them using it yeah, on, yeah. on uh, the show. So Syncs are great. Win-win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that song, is that story, I love telling that story because, you know, even when the album comes out these days, it's never over. There's always, you know, there's always a chance something's going to happen with the song, even if it doesn't make the initial album. You know, that's what's incredible about streaming and about the business nowadays. There's so many different outlets for the song to take a life, right. to get a life on. That one, a good friend of mine, I love bluegrass music, and a good friend of mine named Irene Kelly, we had a, an Alan Jackson cut together on a different song on his Drive CD called A Little Bluer Than That. He heard her singing it on the opera. He was supposedly the story goes he was driving home from the airport. He dropped off his wife at the airport. He was in his old truck, had AM radio on, listening to the opera, and he heard Irene perform the song a little bluer than that. And like within a week, he was recording it. Wow. He heard it and he sought it out. He didn't even know I was on it. Yeah. Until he was in the studio looking at the lyric sheet, and he called me from the studio, <laughs> tell me he was recording one of my songs. So that was good. Cool. But anyway, she put out some bluegrass albums recently and we had a number one bluegrass together man it's a bluegrass single called lonely i didn't know that either yeah yeah and i that to me that means as much to me as any other yeah cut anything else um there was another story i was going to tell about a different song because the, the uh, new friends was really a special one to me because i was really i love laney as a person to just be involved in any way in that project i mean nothing ever might happen again but just to be involved in that was really meant a lot to me yeah and right now Tim just announced the track listing on his new album and I have a song on there. He probably cut that song two years ago. Mm. And I was nervous the whole time. For two years, I was nervous, you know, yeah. <laughs> about the song not making the album. So when I heard that he was announcing it, I opened up my email, you know, my uh, internet really with like one eye closed to see if the song was on there. <laughs> when it was on there, I mean, I felt like the weight of the world felt lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. I don't even care if it's a single. I just wanted it to be on this project. Yeah. So when's that yeah. coming out? August. Okay. August 25th, I think. Okay. Yeah. And there's a new guy. He's on Reviver Records. His name is Randall Fowler. Great singer. We, Me, him, and Clay have his first single coming Man. out in August. So That's great. Things are happening. Yeah. You know, I'm moving a little slower, but things are happening. So yeah. I'm really proud to be still be part of this. Yep. Man, it's really, it's really great to, like, you know, just keep watching the success. You know, Thanks. when we met, you had so much success already. And then um, – you know, I mean, uh, it's been probably close to 10 years ago now that we met, I well, think. I played but the first listing of the one in Common yeah, Stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a long time, and, you know, just, just watching, you know, hit after hit after hit keep coming. And, and going back to the kind of guy that you are and the fact that you do sit down with, you know, people. Laney, Laney Wilson was playing the listening room right. for years, right. um, you know, as a pretty, pretty regularly. Yeah you know, before anything happened, it was, it was about a year ago. I think I was out in Denver, um, and, uh, uh, went over there. Uh, she was out on the road with John party mm -hmm. and, uh, I went over and, um, 
and hung out with with them all day backstage just kind of chilling and we were sitting outside of her trailer you know just talking about like the very first show that she ever played the listening room and just how everything kind of happened and she was she had a lot happening then right but to see where where that was last summer to see what's happened wow, you know was since last summer yeah wow you know just within the last 12 months yeah. of like um you know with with yellowstone and you know all the success that that she's had all the uh, duets the other people's yeah, songs that she yeah. In, in other genres too. right she's got one with lucas nelson yeah yeah, yeah. it's great so you know going going back to you know like how how you just you kind of embrace these these new writers and sit down with them i mean it's just like again it's just a, a testament to the guy that you are wow. man i love thanks. you so much thanks man i appreciate that yeah thanks so much and the listening room itself i mean has become you know second home to me too so thanks uh, for thank, thanks thank for giving you. us a place to play and a place to hang and you, you you've hired some of the best people in town yeah yeah, yeah we've got a great team i can't do it without them yep. for sure sure so. thanks man well, before uh, before we wrap up, I always end with the same question. So, if you go back to eight year old self in the Bronx, uh, <laughs> knowing uh, what you know now in the business and all the su- success that you've had, um, what advice do you give eight year old Mark? Uh, advice back then, or advice? What advice would I give him when I first came? To, like, yeah. What What would you when? tell yourself as as an eight year old? Um, like, what would you say? Hey, do this. Pay more attention to what's going on around, like enjoy every moment because, you know, especially doing this, you spend a lot of time looking ahead that you can sometimes miss what's going on right at the moment. And I feel like, you know, and it goes by fast. Mm. So there's there's some moments I would love to relive and I think I would appreciate them a little bit more second time around. Yeah. You know, just pay attention to, you know, what's going on around you at the moment, being in the moment. Life is short and life is fast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, man, uh, thanks again. Thank it's you. Been, it's been a lot of fun. I wouldn't get up this early for too many people. I know. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> thanks, it. Man. And, um, Thank you. We'll do it again. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, you know, after after a bunch of bunch more hits, we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll get back together and talk about them too. Cool. That sounds good. Or well, maybe we'll like, celebrate AJ or something. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that idea. Thanks, Chris. All right, this has been another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. You've been listening to Mark Irwin. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.